What's the best way to convince an unbeliever to become a follower of Christ? Are historical evidences helpful or do they actually hurt? Today we're going to be looking at a lecture by John Warwick Montgomery, famed apologist who recently gave a lecture uh, at the Lanier Theological Library. So thanks for listening to Theology on Air. Um, I feel obligated because this is how I do announcements of saying this is the second Sunday after the Epiphany. Um, like my, <laughs> We're not my, pastor my, mode. my church mind is like kicking in. But yes, this it it actually is that, uh, or it's the baptism of our Lord. This but it's week. not Sunday at all. It's not Sunday. I know I have to after, but I am at my church, so uh, where he is the senior pastor at yes. First Lutheran in Midtown. Indeed, and Sarah is with me, and she is the outreach coordinator for young adults at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church. So check out all of those places and things. Yep. And um, to learn more and learn where to find us, this is, of course, Theology on Air, which is our mostly weekly bi- uh, podcast uh, of theological conversations and issues, uh, which is a um, part of the Theology on Tap ministry, which we have coming up February 7th, yep. right here in this building down the hall. We're going to be talking about sort of lesser vices. What's the title? I think we're calling it Big Little Sins or Little Big Sins. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, we're looking at things like drinking and smoking and cursing and a smoking pot and, and getting tattoos and, you know. And other sexier things that Evan doesn't want to say. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That'd be <laughs> totally inappropriate. So uh, so we're going to be talking about um, those kind of borderline areas, and I think that'll be fun. That's Monday, February 7th. And if I could announce uh, that uh, Friday, January 11th, or February 11th, uh, James White will be here debating Molinism, and uh, Theology on Top is sort of an adjunct. Theology on Tap is sort of an adjunct <laughs> uh, sponsor of that in a roundabout way. So yeah, theology nerds might be interested in that. And this is a very theologically nerdy thing. Like we nerded out, and we went to this lecture, and then we had thoughts. So. Right. And so before we start, I do want to say if you live in Houston, or even close to Houston, you should be on Lanier Theological Library's mailing list. Like mm-hmm. you should find out when they have events. Uh, Mark Lanier, uh, you know, very successful trial attorney, and God bless him, he uses um, his uh, his gifts from God to the benefit of the public. Mm-hmm. I mean, he hosts some incredible people at a beautiful space, and so you should find out about it. And this was one of those lectures, and I have listened to John Warwick Montgomery for a very long time. He's been very influential in Lutheran circles for, I mean, 60 years. He's kind of the best-known Lutheran apologist, and Lutherans don't produce apologists. So he's like the only guy that's out there, you know. <laughs> so he's the best, but probably also the worst. Kind, kind yeah, <laughs> exactly. And um, I, I'm so. And interestingly, as I kind of got into apologetics several years ago, I kind of felt I kind of just defaulted into the evidential camp. I, I sort of ended up more in the presuppositional camp, which we'll talk about a little bit more. I was going to say we're going to have to define those terms because sure. not all our listeners, for sure, know what those things are. Um, but. Um, Interestingly, I ended up reading a very long critique uh, of of um, John Warwick Montgomery's apologetics that was written in the 70s. Hmm. So this is kind of how long some of this is, has been going on, but written by Greg Bonson, and people can find that somewhere if they want to want to read it. But this is really just an introduction to sort of some competing views of apologetics. We're going to listen to portions of his article and then react. To his lecture. To his lecture yeah. that, that he gave. Um and Which so, Evan dragged his tiny daughter to. How old is? Well, she's Evan? twelve. She's Time twelve. Time for her to start she learning about apologetic She tried hard to pay attention. This was rough. Yeah, good but, for her though. But just to just so y'all know what we're listening for, basically, apologetics. If if that word isn't familiar, it's just a defense of the Christian faith. It's sort of if you were to write say to someone, "This is why I think Christianity is true." That is apologetics. And as it happens, there are different schools of apologetics. Um, 
And so the evidential, or sometimes they're called the classical school, I think there mm-hmm. might be slight differences, but more or less they, they think that you can present evidence to an unbeliever and sort of change their mind, like bring them from being an unbeliever to a believer. But there always is this kind of caveat of like, well, actually the Holy Spirit does the conversion, and we'll hear that in this talk. And so yeah. that's like where the, it's like they kind of just throw it out as like a little like little uh, whipped cream on top of the sundae or something. But I'm like, no, no, actually that's a huge issue. Yeah. And um, and so that's where presuppositionalism, I think, takes a, a, a more, a less positive view of evidence. Like it, it, it can't really do the heavy lifting that you think it can if someone is, you know, predisposed, if you will, to uh, to unbelief for a variety of reasons. And so later in his in his talk, he's going to talk about why why people don't, and this was kind of the way the whole event was headlined, was mm-hmm. why don't people listen to their lawyer when you paid a lawyer to give you advice? Right. So the lawyer gives you advice and then you don't do it. Why? And he gives reasons, and they're more or less sort of psychological reasons. Yeah. And these are things you encounter in apologetics. Like you talk mm-hmm. to unbelievers and then, you know, you're you're going... I just told you, like, it's irrefutable that people live after death and Jesus rose from the dead. Why don't you believe? Right. Right? And so the question is, why don't people believe? Yeah. And so we're going to be looking at that. Let me let him introduce it a little bit. If this technology works, I'm going to give myself a big pat on the back. I'm not going to even lie. Yeah, and a raise. I'm I'm declaring it, so. Thank you. Here we Mm -hmm. go. Double your salary. Specific uh, subject of this lecture, which is not especially a presentation of apologetic evidence, but an attempt to see why non-Christians, even after the very best evidence has been presented to them, sometimes refuse to buy it. Uh, And uh, we are going to use, in that second part, uh, a legal uh, study that has to do with why clients, even after they've paid a ton of money to their lawyers, often refuse to accept the good advice that the lawyers provide. Uh, Our point is that it may be possible by seeing why clients reject good advice from lawyers that non-Christians reject good evidence in behalf of Christian faith, the kind of evidence that they would of course accept under other circumstances. Base for a, an approach All right, to so the universe. A couple of interesting. Okay, uh, makes sense. No, no, any valid relationship <laughs> with the creator. Pause. Other scene. Here we go. I'm learning as we go here. Um, so there's some interesting thing things said. So he says something right there at the end that of course people would be willing to accept in other circumstances. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the whole rub, right? So the idea is that there is this world of the courtroom. Okay, where things are presented objectively, where evidence is presented one way or the other, and the, and the juror is sitting there assessing the evidence, and they're going, well, this seems more true than that. And so he's saying, that's how we operate in this way. Let's just translate the whole right. thing over into the spiritual world. Right. And so my my question would be, are those, you know, translatable? Are those ex- are those exactly the same kinds of tasks that we would put before, say, a juror or an unbeliever. Well, it's funny because then later he's going to refute that very thing because he's going to yeah. talk about the reasons why people don't listen to good evidence from their lawyer, maybe not in a jury. But he also no, we're, it would be this. It would be the same exact thing, though. Yeah, right? it'd be right, the right. same thing. Like why? Why good do, evidence is given to you? Why right. won't you follow it? Yeah. Right. No, of course it's not the same thing. Yeah. Anytime you add, but spiritually, that's just a whole new. Yeah. Can of worms. I mean, and, like, Paul talks about, like, flesh and spirit, you know, like mm-hmm. being born of the flesh, being born of the spirit. Um, so th- this is where I think 
some of the evidential, you know, arguments, I think, fall on harder times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's sort of the idea that like, oh, well, if we can just produce good enough um, evidence, then people will change their mind. Um, but if that were the case, we have all the evidence. So Christians have all the evidence. So it's not a question of possessing the evidence. Right. You know, you could say, well, not enough Christians have articulated it well enough for long mm-hmm. enough. Well, okay, that, that might be. On the other hand, there are a whole lot of people like, I don't know, in certain parts of the world where they, um, they, they've never really heard any of the evidence. They've just heard preaching, proclamation. They've read the Bible and they right. come to faith. Yeah. Um, it's, it's those of us who are like in the West who have this sort of advanced legal system mm-hmm. and all the evidence and all the books available to us. And we're all have like master's degrees and blah, blah, blah. And we're the, we're the skeptical ones. Well, and if that actually worked, then we would be God. We would be saving yeah. people. And we should be just getting out into Kroger and telling, yeah. just get on the mic. Let me tell you about the Kalam cosmological. Yeah. Right. I will say he kind of, he, he kind of goes after this in an unfair way at the very end. I'm going to the end because it doesn't give anything away about what he's yeah. about to say. We brought an atheist with us to the talk. Well, he came willingly because he wanted to hear what someone's going to say about people like him. Whatever. We duct taped him and he was in the trunk of the car. <laughs> but he was happy about it. We gave him yeah. a treat afterwards. It was right. great. But he submitted a question and they asked the question, basically, I'm an atheist. Why don't I believe? And then the question said something like, I'm looking for a miracle to believe. And John Warwick Montgomery's answer to him was, and it was quick. He was like, you don't look for a miracle in any other space of your life to make decisions. So why would you do it here? Which seems like, oh, he got him. Except it's just not true. Because in every other situation in life, like, you know, what am I going to eat for lunch? Or should I take this job? It's not about the existence of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you wouldn't look for evidence that's supernatural. Right. Whereas this is. So sort of a, I don't know if that's like a category yeah. error or something, but it seemed unfair. And I I have issues with just saying you want a miracle. That's its own thing. But yeah. um, I didn't think that was a fair answer because it did the exact same thing we're talking about. Right. And it's, it's just like the age old, you know, conflict between science and religion where like you can't use science to answer uh uh, um, um, non-naturalistic questions. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the wrong tool for the job. Right. Right. So it's a category error. Um, I don't, you know, obviously we don't think religion and science are incompatible. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but within the natural world, science and the scientific method plays a very useful tool. But you, you can't then go apply that because, like, the scientific method itself assumes, like, you know, philosophical constraints and certain assumptions as to why it would actually work. Um, so you can't prove the scientific method by the scientific method. So, uh, so there's a lot of similarities here. Now he's doing it more from the legal point of view of where he's saying, well, let's take a legal framework, which everyone agrees is the right thing. We're going to come to that. <laughs> oh, is that, is that the case? Really? Everyone agrees that like Western jurisprudence is like the bee's knees. And, and like, he said something at one, at one point about, we could never get rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like spoken like a true lawyer, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but that's, that's, Antifa doesn't exactly feel that way, but let's keep going. <laughs> And, uh, and we'll get that way. And we'll do a whole show on anti-philosophy. Peter and Good. Redeemer. Uh, think of 1 Corinthians 15. I, says the Apostle Paul, delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen first of all by Cephas, then, uh, then uh, the twelve, and after that he was seen by above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greatest number remain alive to the present. Uh, you'll notice that this is a factual claim. It's a claim as to what really happened. 
And that distinguishes the Christian religion from virtually all other religious positions, uh, which rely on what? An appeal to personal experience uh, or some sort of existential uh, area for which there isn't any solid evidence. And I firmly... Okay, I actually agree with a lot of that. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I definitely agree with 1 Corinthians 15. It's, I'm glad you agree with the Bible. It's in the Bible. <laughs> um, and 1 Corinthians 15 is kind of the famous, you know, resurrection passage. And Paul does list, you know, all the eyewitnesses of the resurrection, like the 500 mm -hmm. and many of whom are still alive and the apostles and um, all, all this sort of thing. Um, and so what's kind of then done is this sort of extrapolation, like, oh, I see God works in the world through proofs and therefore, you know, um, th that's kind of our methodology as well. But I don't know if that's exactly what's going on in First Corinthians or what goes on exactly throughout Paul's ministry. You know, I, I see Paul proclaiming, and he ends up having to do a lot of proclaiming in places where th there is going to be no eyewitness of the resurrection. And of course, all of us live in an age in which there are no eyewitnesses of the resurrection. We have to appeal to to the Scripture. But here's sort of here's sort of the the the, <laughs> the bigger picture about evidence, which is which is that are people neutral when they're assessing evidence. I, I, I think depending on sort of how you answer that question is right. kind of how you un unpick this lock. And I don't will. think anyone thinks that people are neutral. Even he doesn't think so because one of his answers in the second half is about yeah. the non-neutrality. Yeah, right. So Is that too much of a spoiler? No, not at all. Okay. Um, there's no particular order here. But like if you look at something like resurrection, right? Let, let's say you're talking to someone and you're and 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 you you want to you know you want to argue that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, we had Gary Habermas one recently, and this mm -hmm. is his whole expertise, and he's got the whole minimal facts. And I will say to a degree, this is part of his thing, right? He yeah. he. I mean, he even talks extensively about um, how, uh, if I'm not mistaken, First Corinthians 15 um, is a, a probably a creed that I believe Gary Habermas argues could go as early as six months of Jesus' death. Now, there, In other mm. words, there are scholars who think that there is a formula in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that goes way, way back, very mm. close to the time of resurrection, which is, cool. which is very cool and very interesting. Um, but the point is, if people are committed to something like naturalism or materialism, in which we are not spiritual beings, in which there is no resurrection from the dead, then... It doesn't matter what First Corinthians fifteen says. Yeah. Like all of that is irrelevant. So you would have you would you would want to I think you would do well to sort of challenge the the presuppositions. This yeah. is why it's called presuppositionalism. You know, uh, you know, push the antithesis, as Greg Bonson would say. Okay, challenge the presuppositions of the naturalist, of the mm -hmm. materialist, mm -hmm. and say, well, you know, why, you know, why is it that you think that nature is all that there is? Like, can you account for a worldview on that? Can you account for evolution on that? Mm -hmm. Where do you account for the origin of things on that view? Um, and this is kind of where I think presuppositionalism is helpful because it it starts to put the shoe on the other foot. It's like, oh, you you want me to sit around and give all the evidences for what you know what why why I think this is true. Meanwhile, you don't ever have to defend your worldview. Yeah, you just get to sit around and take pot shots at the stupidity of believing that someone could rise from the dead, but you think everything came from nothing. Well, it, this is sort of a tertiary point, but it makes me think of the story that Jesus tells about the two people that die and go to Sheol. And then the bad guy that's in the bad place is trying to say, like, go warn my brothers, like, send somebody Lazarus back the from the man. dead. Yeah, Lazarus yeah. and the rich man. Um, 
and and send somebody back from the dead. Mm-hmm. That'll really shake right. them. And of course, Jesus says, no, they have the law and the prophets. If they haven't already sort of like responded to that, then th- this miracle isn't going to do anything. Yeah. If they don't listen to Moses, then they won't listen even if someone raises from the dead. Yeah. I think that's a very presuppositional text because um, the question is, what is the... Here, here's a question to think about. What is the mechanism by which people are saved? Hmm. I mean, uh, for example, uh, faith comes by hearing, for example, yeah. right? Now, people could say, oh, yeah, they hear my evidential arguments. And again, I'm like, there are billions of people, billions of Christians, there are probably a billion Christians right now who have never heard these arguments. They've never heard of apologetics. No one ever defended the Christian faith to them, yeah. but the word was proclaimed to them, and they trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, Yeah. right? So at the end of the day... Another big picture category to think about is, is unbelief a lack of evidence or is it a spiritual problem, i.e. a sin? I'm with you on that, which is why I'm sort of warm to presuppositionalism. Mm -hmm. I will say just, I think it's a bit of a character to say that evidentialists think that they can like give all these evidences and someone will be like, yep, I believe. I think that has happened, but obviously the Holy Spirit's already at work there. In the same way that like, I, none of that was involved when I came to know Christ, but I'm glad that it exists because it it sort of like solidifies what it's For like. Sure. Oh, I'm not crazy, you right. know. Um, when you have those doubts, so I don't think any classical apologist is like, aha, we could take someone from either neutrality or unbelief to like all in Team Jesus with yeah. these things. Yeah, sans like Holy Spirit doing something miraculous. I think so. I I, I think that's probably true. I think I think it is a question though of like. The, the 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 proper place in these sorts of things yeah um you know like like where d- does the holy spirit is, is is the holy spirit a principal actor or a secondary you know oh, well you and, and i and agree on this we do yeah. we do i think um and I, I know we do well i also but. think there's like the whenever something is new whether it's atheism or christianity or apologetics within your christianity mm-hmm. there's like in some people, like this sort of hubris that comes about, like, oh, I have the, like, magic pill now. Right. And so if I just tell everybody, and then you sort of get in your own head, like, if I memorize the syllogisms of the moral argument and the teleological argument and whatever, and I present them just right and just the perfect way, and then you get into this space where you inadvertently think you are going to save somebody, and then you need mm-hmm. a little bit of check or maturity or someone coming along being like... Or you do it enough and... (laughs) And it doesn't work. And Yeah. And you talk to people and they're like, dude, those are, that's interesting, but that's not my problem. Like the the thing is I really like to smoke pot. I'm not giving that up, you know, or, you know, I really like women and I'm not giving that up. He talks about that in the lecture later. Not about pot and women, but... Oh, that's kind he of, doesn't? Well, Shoot. He I was getting does. excited there for a minute. <laughs> We've listened to it like three times. I uh, know. You're right. Okay, here we go. Let's I believe that yeah. this reductionism of reducing Christianity to something non-factual and simply uh, subjective and emotional uh, is one of the most important reasons for the decline of the churches and the de-Christianization of our modern societies. Uh, our approach is that if you reject the kind of evidence that we've just been talking about for Christianity, logically you would have to reject uh, corresponding uh, evidence in all other areas. Uh, I give you a personal legal... All right. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah. I really did my very best to, to some, hit, hit just the highlight. So uh, I, I, I kind of hate to hit pause every time because I want to keep listening. But... Um, he said a few things that I thought were interesting. One is he talks about, well, this is why the, the church is declining. 
Right. He said, oh, the yeah. church is declining because we haven't we haven't essentially marshaled enough evidence. And I'm going, that's just not how I'm reading the room right now. Yeah. You know, um, I don't see a lot of hunger for evidence. Um, I I see a lot of sort of prosperity. I see a lot of ability for people to live life on their terms. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they have fully sated lives. Uh, their their appetites are, are fully sated, you know. So it's like there there is no. I mean, the appetite for God, I think, is of course there, but it's it's being ignored. So we're sort of covered by other. Yeah. Yeah. I yes, and a little bit no, because I think we live in an age that so puts such a emphasis and value on being reasonable and scientific. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I, I like those things, um, and so I do think. This is why I do still like the evidential camp because it can say, hey, listen, this is not blind faith. I didn't just Mm – and I do think some churches – and I only think this because people tell me all the time, my church never talked about why it was reasonable or why it was true. They just said we ought to believe. If you don't, Mm -hmm. you're going to hell. And maybe they weren't really teaching that, but that's the message that came through. So in that way, I do think – Churches and Christians have a responsibility to just talk about the reasonableness sure. of this. I agree. I, I actually I think that evidential apologetics is is an extremely useful asset, but I think it's more useful to believers, the Christian, yeah. than unbelievers. Yeah. I think Christian, and I, I, my guess is that if you could figure out who's buying Christian apologetics books in the evidential school, well, any school probably, of the vast majority, probably ninety or ninety five percent are Christians. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of unbelievers are out there going, oh, you know, da 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 da. They have to be confronted, I think, through proclamation, you know, through relationships, through those mm-hmm. sorts of things. And I use ev- – I still use evidences. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to – you know, we do a college outreach. I talk to students on the regular and I'll – but I kind of do it quickly because yeah. I kind of – I kind of want – I kind of want to like let them know, yeah, okay, let's – you know, you you, you, you know, because I'll, I'll, I'll use the, the Kalam cosmolo- cosmological argument – I think it's very helpful That's because it favorite. kind of quickly gets to the idea of like, well, look, if you're going to if you're going to hold to atheism, then like you really don't have an explanation for why anything exists at all. Right. right? So but um, usually in my experience, it's what is going on is more of a spiritual issue, yeah. you know, a, a sin issue or oh, he's going to say no to that. Yeah. It, yeah. Big time. Um, so. But yeah, it the idea that he he kind of I can't remember exactly how he said it, but there's this kind of idea that like you can just imp, you can just export, if you will, kind of a, a a legal framework into into the into this work, and I think that's just that's just wrong. Yeah, Man, we got to keep we got to keep moving. I know. Sorry. Professions uh, reflect a fundamental uh, consideration in any society. The law and the courts deal with the most uh, crucial conflicts in the society. And how are these conflicts resolved? I mean, you don't go to court unless it's absolutely a desperate situation, and uh, when, uh, when, when you do, uh, it's because there really doesn't seem to be any alternative. How do the courts endeavor to resolve these uh, conflicts? The answer, of course, is through evidence. The presentation of evidence to uh, hopefully a neutral jury. That's mm. got to stop. Yeah. Did Did you hear the word? <clears throat> hopefully a yeah. neutral jury. Yeah, that's the whole point. Right. Is that if they were totally neutral, um, <laughs> it's like I mean he does know how much time. I'm he's a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. He does international law. He's an incredible lawyer. I'm sure. Like, but 
you pay people lots of money to pick jurors for you yeah. who are sympathetic to your cause based on their demographics, based on what you know about them, based on the voir dire, the questions yeah. you ask, blah, blah, blah. For, precisely, actually, what actually, if you want to really know the truth, each lawyer is not looking for a neutral jury. They're right. looking for six people that, that are sympathetic you know, to their it, case. It, exactly. Yeah. So this idea that, you know, again, you just have people out there, they're totally, you know, they're, they're, they're neutral and they just, you know, kind of are going to assess things fairly. I, I think it really minimizes the, the, the actual difficulty we're going with. Let's keep going. Uh, or a okay. neutral trier of fact. Uh, and, uh, the, uh, and without the court system, there isn't a means of dealing with those ultimate issues. All right. Let us just suppose he is going to jettison the legal system. We're this is let like it keep saying, going. stop the world, I want to get off. And yet, Christian apologetics so often find... Uh, I apologize. I, I jumped over that. But he, he, he says something quickly like, no one is going to jettison the legal system. Yeah. If you do that, that's like saying, stop the world. I want to get off. Yeah. People do want to jettison the legal system. Yes. To be people. clear. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and I don't even know how minority of a view that is anymore. I mean, I think that something like um, concepts like, um, like I think you see what's going on in some of the cities around prosecution, right? In limiting... Um, you know, certain certain crimes that used to be felonies, now they're misdemeanors. So essentially they go unprosecuted. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, think of like the craziness in, in San Francisco right now. Um, there are people who, I mean, I think to a degree reparations could mm -hmm. could fall into this territory, yeah. right? Like like it could be a situation where it's like, no, no, no. we The whole conversation of equality and equity falls into this conversation. Well, yeah, there's arguably. plenty of people that want the unfair thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think, again, I hate to, I, I hate to say this. I wasn't going to do this, but I do sometimes wonder if it's a little bit generational. I mean, he he strikes me as being very old school. He strikes, and there seems to be kind of naivety even of like the 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 rebellion. I think that is that is sort of in younger generations against the kind of status quo, you mm -hmm. know, and against a kind of Western kind of typical ordered world. Yeah. I don't think they're all that interested in that, and I think they tend to think like colonialism was like the most evil thing ever, and we need to rethink this whole thing. Yeah, he definitely was so, not touching on any of that. But. Yeah. But I will. It means that okay. unbelievers remain unconvinced when presented with evidence for gospel truth. And that gospel truth and the evidence for it is the kind of thing that they would surely accept under other conditions in secular areas. All right, why is this so? Let's begin by dismissing three... Uh, inadequate explanations as to why uh, non-Christians yeah. do not go along with excellent arguments for Christian faith. Okay. The first inadequate explanation is to say, well, that's because of sin. Well, of course, sin is most definitely the ultimate reason for unbelief and for the rejection of the gospel. <laughs> but but. That begs the question. Uh, among the ancients, it was ex uh, rain was explained as Zeus pissing through the clouds. Now, uh, certainly rain is the result of God's activity. Did you think that was? I was so confused by this metaphor. Did, yeah, terrible also, metaphor. Total why is apples he using and oranges. That word in my house growing up, that was a bad word. Yeah, it was this distinguished older gentleman in a chapel. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, he said pissing. Yeah. He thought, said it twice, by the way. Uh, yeah. It, it wasn't an accident. And yeah, it doesn't. Basically, it's like saying, well, we can't account for it, so let's come up with this other thing. So I guess the corollary is, well, because again, what he's saying is, 
these are not the reasons that people disbelieve. Right. right? He's saying these are not the reasons. Yeah. Okay. He's he's saying sin is not such a big deal yeah. that people aren't coming to faith. And I'm sitting here going, I, as a Lutheran, I have to say, and he's a, he's in the Missouri Synod. He's in the, he's a he's a conservative, you know, Lutheran. And I'm going, how can a Lutheran say this? Like, how could any Christian say it? Really? I think yeah. so. But I mean, there, you know, you could argue there are like certain traditions that you know maybe sort of downplay the noetic effects of sin or something like that, right? Like like sin is not as bad as you know what the Calvinists say, and he's kind of a little bit going to war with Calvinists in this whole thing. But yeah. I'm like, dude, like you're a Lutheran, like you should know better. Like, never downplay the effects of sin. Like, the effects of sin are total and complete. You don't think sin affects the way we assess evidence? You don't think sin affects the way we do everything? Well, it's when he later gives his reasons. So it's not sin, and it's not the other two things he's about to say, but it is these three things. Yeah, those three things are things you can really do something about. Yeah. So if his recipe is correct, now all we have to do is take the three things he's going to say at the end and combat them, and then everyone will be a Christian. Yeah. And everyone's not a Christian. So it must be that one of those early things well, must be something other than what he said. And I think yeah. this is where he gets the whole thing. When he said that, I think I audibly gasped in the lecture. And uh, yeah. I turned to the person next to me. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. It was a professor from HBU. And I was like, right. I don't know. But how you answer that question will, I think, in, in a way, largely determine kind of how you how you do how you do evangelism, how you do apologetics, and I'm not saying you go around and say you're an awful person, you're a sinner. I'm saying as the apologist, you understand you what you're that. what you're up against, yeah. and you can still be winsome and loving and charming and the whole bit, you know, as you're presenting the gospel to because people. Because you're a sinner too. That's, yeah, that's one yes. of the things about it. It's not like well, their problem is they have sin. It's like I know they are a sinner because I'm a sinner, and that's also why I know the good news. I'm about to tell them how good it is because I've been right. saved. Right. Yeah. And the whole Zeus peeing thing is just that was, it was just bizarre. embarrassing. It was, it, is. it was embarrassing. No doubt about it. But it's quite clear that we can go a little farther than that. Uh, and uh, meteorologists uh, are not satisfied with regarding rain as Zeus pissing through the clouds. Uh, they they feel that it is indeed possible to analyze the whole thing in a more satisfactory way. So. Uh, simply saying, well, there is sin, that's why Christian faith is rejected uh, by the non-Christian in spite of the evidence, is not going to be an adequate explanation. Second inadequate explanation, predestination. Uh, can we explain this by saying that the unbeliever is somehow predestined to defy the evidence anyway? That all right, just quickly. Okay, Lutherans affirm predestination. Okay, mm -hmm. predestination's in the Bible. Sorry, yeah. but most people affirm it, even if they're not Calvinists. Yeah, and in, yeah. in some way, it's affirmed. So th 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 this is really a straw man situation. I don't know a single Calvinist except the most crazed cage stage Calvinist that sits around going, "Well, I never have to do evangelism because if they're damned, they're damned, and if right. they're elect, they're elect." I mean, sure. Do people think that because they're lazy and they don't want to do the hard work of evangelism? Sure. There, there are people who say that, but no credible apologist that I know in the Cath in the in the Calvinist world you know, uses predestination as an excuse for, for apologetics to fail, you know? Can you think of any? Well, I think that's two different questions. Do they use it as an excuse not to evangelize because there's no point, or do they use it as an excuse for why people aren't being convinced? I guess they're both two sides of the same coin. But I've he even heard non-believers say that back to me. Well, if you believe that mm -hmm. God knows everything, you know, you know, 
he ordains everything, then don't you think that maybe he ordained me to not ever believe? And then I'm caught in some sort of loop of my own making or something. But um, And that's where I just say, you know, dude, I'm ignorant. I have no clue. All I, all I know is I'm living right now and you and I are having this conversation right now. And my call to you is to repent and believe. Yeah. And so and your call is to believe. Your well, call and that's is obedience, to right? We're told yeah. to do that. Yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, I know people go down these rabbit holes, but I just think no no one is there. I've never heard anyone like use predestination as like a legitimate excuse, you know, for, for anything. Um, anyway, th- this is um, – he does talk about presuppositionalism. Let me see if it's the on this result section of or not. the sin of Adam, the sin of our first parents, is that it is now impossible for the non-Christian to evaluate spiritual evidence or evidence in behalf of the faith in a proper way. Uh, Van Til used to say, "You give evidence to a non-Christian, it's like throwing a ball to him, and he throws it." over his shoulder into infinite uh, uh, nothingness. Uh, Non-Christians simply will not pay attention to evidence uh, because of original sin. Uh, And then secondly they say, and if you could use evidence uh, to deal with a non-Christian, you'd be taking away from the work of the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit saves. Uh, And these uh, presuppositionalists uh, were often uh, very uh, right-wing Calvinists, and as, as Calvinists, uh, they, they, they said, all you can do is to preach, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit will touch those that are predestined, and uh, therefore, of course, other people are not going to accept it. This is, of course, not a very attractive apologetic, uh, and once in a while when I've uh, given talks at universities, uh, I've had the misfortune to have uh, presuppositionalists in the audience and uh, in the discussions afterwards they have tried to tell the non-Christians there that there really isn't any way that they can be convinced by the evidence. I mean that is certainly not a very effective evangelistic approach. Gets yeah. a good laugh, right? Gets a yeah. good laugh. Let's, let's poke fun of the presuppositionalists who are talking about the effect of sin Okay, on the life of the unregenerate person, the unbeliever, okay, and their ability to assess evidence. I don't think that's very funny, and I, I wouldn't even if I disagreed with those people. <laughs> like I, I would take them seriously. Like I would show respect. Yeah, you edited out, or maybe we just missed it because we were still talking or something. But he said right before that, he said something like, "And uh, and this is where the like the worst of the worst." He doesn't say worst of the worst. But he says like, "Yeah." These people that I don't know why anyone would listen to them. These presuppositionists. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, so that's half the people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a Maybe it's a half, it's a it's a it's a more minority apologetic view. Um, but I would show it respect. You know, yeah. like I would show I show evidential apologists. You know, whatever respect. Right. I mean, I th- I think that I would say these are the these are the kind of the strong points of this particular model. Mm-hmm. Um, but the presuppositionalists, I think, what they're arguing it's re- it's really an anthropological argument. It's about the nature of man. Mm-hmm. And yeah, okay, you could argue that you know Calvinists with their limited you know or their uh, total depravity and all that you know they're awfully dour. But on the other hand, like that's a pretty defensible point of view, and Lutherans believe it. Lutherans yeah. believe total depravity as well. So, um, also, if you read the Bible, if you read the Old Testament, and you see the sort of the dichotomy that's put into place right in Genesis three, mm-hmm. the seed from the woman and the seed from the serpent, and then it trickles all throughout history, especially the Old Testament, really like just shines a light on it over and over again. There are two teams. Yeah. There are people that are not in rebellion to God. Thanks be to the Spirit awakening them. Uh, 
and and them being righteous only because of that. Yeah. And those that are in rebellion. So it's kind of silly to just throw the whole thing out. I mean, yeah. Well, I think that over the course of his career, he's he has gotten a lot of I mean, Greg Bonson devoted pretty serious attention to critiquing him. And so mm-hmm. I think he's very sensitive to presuppositionalism. Yeah. Um cuz he, you know, he he'd rather be adulated, you know, yeah. as we all would, you know. I love and getting a laugh from the front. Absolutely. Yeah. But this idea too of like, oh, well it's not an attractive apologetic. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm thinking about this. We we both ended up watching a video about Elon Musk and his yeah. conversation with the Babylon Bee, and we're both I think we had the same reaction, which is like, wow, this is pretty tragic. Like these guys were in a position to talk to the to, to literally the wealthiest man in the world. Mm-hmm. Like forget Lazarus and the rich man. I mean, literally the wealthiest guy on the planet yeah. ever. He's in their room with them. Mm-hmm. And he's like putting the ball on a tee that we, we both watched the Justin Peters video, kind of reaction video to it. And like, like they can't offer an apologetic. Like in that moment, they can't, they can't engage him. They can't ask him questions. It was really quite sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but but I think that when you're concerned about being sort of attractive, like trying, you know, like I think that you can be truthful and winsome. You know what I mean? Like I think that's yeah. possible. Okay? Well, I also think he's, and many people do this. I don't think either of us do this. I hope not. But there is this sort of false dichotomy that you're either going to use evidence, or you're gonna pre, you're gonna talk about people's presuppositions, and you're gonna kind of start from this place of people being mm-hmm. in rebellion. Um, I don't think those things have to exist just one or the other. Um, and uh, well, yeah. I, okay, I don't I've get never, in the way. I've never had the same conversation twice. Yeah. Okay, with unbelievers. Yeah. Because every person is different. Yeah. Every person comes with different objections, difficulties. Some are angry. Some are hostile. Some are sincere seekers. And depending on what I'm, what I'm dealing with, okay, right. what I'm confronting, what what questions are asking me, I'll I'll kind of go, well, this is how I'd respond. Um, but I need to skip ahead a little bit because I yeah. cannot believe how fast time is going. So I'm okay. going to, out of respect for our viewers, I want to try to f- see if I can't get to the place where he starts talking about, okay, so this is why people don't listen to their lawyer as okay. a corollary of saying, um, and I'm and I'm and now I'm going to have to jump ahead a little bit, so hopefully I can find it. So it might not be the exact right place, but show me some mercy, okay? I will the show all the mercy. Identification of the problem to the object of our witness and apologetic is essential. That is to say, we need to help the non-Christian. I'm going to skip ahead a little more. If one still hesitates in making a religious commitment in spite of this, then let's consider the relationship between the concrete benefits promised by Christian faith Oh, he's already on the one three. Hand, oh, shucks. And the entry or Language. John the Do you Baptist, want me to just summarize uh, what they are? Pointing people to that door. Probably. Pointing people weird. to the Christ. Getting them to keep moving along the road. I think we're close. Oh. Here we go. Quite obviously, a kind and sensitive identification of the problem to the object of our witness and apologetic is essential. That is to say, we need to help the non-Christian see that one of these unfortunate approaches is being followed, that the non-Christian has fallen into this and may not recognize it. I passed it again. Yeah, because he's saying he's already said the three, I think, and now let's, he's telling. So let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. We can do it faster anyway. Yeah. Okay. This is like one and a half 
speed. You ready? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, He says there are basically three reasons why someone wouldn't listen to their lawyer, and those same reasons apply to evidence as being given for Christianity. The first is confirmation bias. Most people know what this is. This is this idea that um, you already believe something, so you're just going to dig into what you believe, even if you're told otherwise. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the problem with that in a minute if you want. The Mm -hmm. second is a sunk cost fallacy. That there's a sunk cost. You've already invested this much energy and time and money into your belief system. So you're going to stick with it. It's kind of the stubbornness mm-hmm. point. And then the last one is the delay and probability disconnect. Basically, that people will avoid pain now, even if they know the pain will be greater later. Um, and so they're all kind of stubborn. They're mm-hmm. all three different ways that people can be stubborn, which, by the way, I believe that plenty of people are stubborn. Might even be a sin. Yeah, might. <clears throat> <laughs> So subtle. You're, yeah. You know, people talk about your subtlety. It's Do like they? A, yeah. 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 It's a point of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's and then he goes on to talk about the answer to this is that we ought to basically do a cost benefit analysis and see if it comes out in favor of yeah. Christianity. He he actually says at one point play devil's advocate, which is a phrase I try not to use anymore. But you know I understand what he means by it. But yeah, um, like he's he's um and actually no actually I take that back. I don't know if he said that, but it, I actually read the article. I found okay. the article that's it's in like a somewhat obscure legal journal. It's a short, it's a very short article. It's like two pages. It's a, it's like a bullet points thing of, of something. It's not like a 18 page psychological treatise on why people don't listen right. to the lawyer. It's just like a thing. And it's just confirmation bias. Da, da, da. But he, the, the first question he was asked in the, yep. in the, you know, was, Hey, doesn't that confirmation bias work the other way? Yeah. For <laughs> and us, it was like Christians too. Yeah. Right. So like we want Christianity to be true. So like people could present us all the evidence in the world that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Right. I mean, and like we would both agree as soon as they find his tomb with bones in it, like we're sunk, right? You know, we'll have to. I know. don't agree. I know my confirmation bias is so high. It would be like, I need to see some DNA testing. Yeah. yeah. I need a peer reviewed. I mean, you know. in, in theory, James Cameron, Cameron did find that tomb, right? But um, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, James Cameron, the 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 Titanic guy? Yeah. 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 He 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 did a National Geographic like documentary where they found a tomb. And it was with three people. It was like uh, Jesus, oh, like maybe I uh, about this. Yeah. James, and Mary. Oh, and okay. so it was. It was a sarcophagus or sarcophagi or whatever. With yeah, you yeah. know, and so his argument was that what are the odds? It was like, <laughs> turns out like they're the most three common names in the ancient world at that time. So oh, the odds funny. are actually probably pretty good, you know. Yeah. But um, anyway. So, okay, but um, so so the, so this article gives advice on like, oh, play devil's advocate with the client. Um, try not to use too much legal jargon with your client, right, so that they don't get sort of lost in the process. And then the corollary of that is that Christians don't use too much Christianese. Is I think the, so. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'm so. down with that. Yeah. And then this one is funny. Send the invoice early. Oh, funny. Okay, that deals so they know the pain. Yes, know yeah. the pain up front. So these are like strategies. How do you deal with, the you know, someone putting off pain, putting off pain? Well, mm-hmm. pff, here's the bill. My services will cost such and such, and I, I, I do wonder if in the apologetic, the corollary to the apologetic approach then mm-hmm. would be something like there are consequences for not believing, um, and I'm not just talking about like are you going to go to hell tonight when you die. I actually think one of the most one of the apologetics I'll use, or arguments I use most often is that Christianity actually produces the best world. Okay, mm-hmm. Christianity actually produces a world in which people are honest and faithful, and there is justice, and there is mercy, and there is a seeking of peace. And I mean, it's amazing. It, it's like utopian. Yeah, you know, I all the yeses, yeah. and it's not just consequences to not believing, but the cost of believing. Yeah, like that would be the invoice I would think he's talking that, about. Oh yes, yes, is like yes. This what God is asking is for all of you, right? For your whole life. 
right. for your complete surrender, even if you don't like it. And then he talks in the lecture a little bit about you might be doing things you don't want to stop doing. You might be living with someone or having sex with someone that you don't want to have, stop having sex with. Right. He does say that. He doesn't use the word sex, but something like living with – I mean, he implies yeah. it. Right, um, right. But, yeah, like stopping your rebellion and saying yes to someone else being the king and the authority of your life is a – it's a high cost now. Right. Obviously, it pans out like you were saying, but – Right. Um, I know I know, we're probably getting close to out of time. Let me try to cut to the chase here. Um, 15 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, then let me try to find this quote where he says this. Um. I could tell a joke while you're looking if you want. I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit. Okay. And let's see where we land. Promised by Christian faith, on the one hand, and the entrance requirements for the faith on the other. That's that. We end up Pros with a cons. formula yeah. Yeah. which divides formula. the mm-hmm. advantages, mm. the There's numbers. concrete benefits, such as uh, Romans 8.28, uh, divided by the entrance requirements, what you've got to give up or do uh, in order to enter the faith. The formula comes out to be commitment C equals B divided by E, benefits divided by uh, our uh, entrance requirements. Now, it follows that the less the entrance requirements and the higher the benefits, the more reason exists to commit to the evidence for the faith that have already been presented or that are available. Uh, what we're saying is, of course, that the, uh, that the lower the benefits and the higher the entrance requirements, the less reason there is to go in that direction. And conversely, the greater the benefits, and the lesser the entrance requirements, the smaller the entrance requirements, the far greater uh, reason exists to move in that direction. Now, what is the case with Christianity? Well, the benefits, of course, are eternal life in the presence of a loving God, uh, which, by way of the evidence, has already been shown, backed up by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the Okay, I just have to stop because it's like, do, do you realize what he just assumed there? Right? Yeah, it's that people like, believe that first part? Or? Well, I, I think a couple of things. <laughs> One is that to be in the presence of a loving God is something worth attaining. Oh, right. Um, but, you know, but he kind of assumes that the evidence for the resurrection is already sufficient. Yeah. And by the way, that is his historic, that is his <laughs> apologetic. I mean, he, he, I'm sure in future lectures at Lanier, I think this is what he's going to get into. This is just an introduction to kind of the concept. But his apologetic, and I don't think it's a, I don't think in many respects it's a bad apologetic, but it is really historical. It, it, he works his way from the cross out. Mm-hmm. Okay. He talks about that in this lecture too. Okay. I think. Um, listen to a lot of stuff. If you've read Mere Christianity or like listen to an average William Lane Craig presentation, think of that as kind of working from the most abstract, right? right and working your way into the cross. And yeah. he, he kind of does the opposite. He so does I, talk about it in this. I remember okay. that. Yeah. So I, I do appreciate that. And I like, I think that's a good place to be. But I, but I still think that the history itself is insufficient to overcome um, a position of unbelief, like or, um, or 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 some of these other things, confirmation bias, sunk cost fallacy, or for example, right? Yeah. So, like, I still think that like the historical arguments are all on our side. I think they're very strong, but 
even assessing history is not a neutral enterprise. Yeah. Like historians agree, disagree all the time. Oh, for sure. You know, historians have points of view. Um, some of them think they know just about everything, um, <laughs> you know, because they, they've studied history. So um, so I think this this whole concept is is what kind of keeps coming up with me over and over, this this idea that like, oh, well, okay, now that now that we've got the, the resurrection and, and, and the, the crucifixion and the resurrection and like... In the bag, yeah. You know, in the bag, okay, now here's the, here's the benefit, eternal life with the loving God, to which there are a lot of people who would literally say something like, sounds boring. Yeah. I mean, you or don't. You he don't think it seem that loving, or a million other things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's just assuming so much to uh, to get there. But let me let me let it keep going. Promise yeah. that for the Christian, all things work together for good. So life then uh, has meaning, has purpose, legitimate purpose. What are the entrance requirements? Simply admitting that you are a sinner and you desperately need that. Okay, so pretty pretty low cost. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner. Yeah, it's not though. It's not though. Yeah, it's actually like a life and death struggle in in you know in the soul. Yeah, I have a lot of atheist friends who know they're sinners. They might not use the word sinner, but they'll say mm-hmm. imperfect or you know make bad choices or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a good first step. Yeah, but he doesn't talk about repentance. Um, I mean, and I and I, I agree with the words that he said. Yeah. Like I agree with the words. Admit that you're a sinner and that you need that. Yeah. I agree with that. But I just think he's. It, it gets back to this anthropological question of like, yeah, but is that how easy really is that? You know, is it, it? He makes it sound so easy. It's like, well, you just have to confess. I mean, I'm like, like think about the gospels. Think about like Matthew mm-hmm. walking away from being a tax collector, or, um, or you know, I just. You, you just see people, you know, over and over in the life of Jesus totally giving up their life, you know, the way that it was. Well, and I just keep thinking about my atheist friends, the, the term, we need a savior, I need a savior. No, I don't. Like, that's another really mm. big assumption, which, yeah, I mean, to need a savior means you need saving from something. Right. What do you need saving from? Right. And then you also have to believe there's such a thing as a spiritual world and an afterlife. And it's... Yeah. There's a, there's more to it than that. Yeah, I think we I think we can agree with that. In other words, the entrance requirements do not to be sure, there is no magic formula to ensure that the case for Christianity will be evaluated seriously, much less for the achievement of successful conversion. That is the Holy Spirit's work. Our task is nothing more and nothing less than to be responsible witnesses and effective conveyors of the many infallible proofs of revelational truth. Thank you. I'll let him finish his thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So there's the little caveat to the Holy Spirit. I know. Now that we've like wrapped up the whole thing, it's like, by the way, that's the Holy Spirit's work. Well, well, which is it? Are, I know. And in, in, to what degree do we present evidence to a bunch of jurors who are hopefully Neutral. Neutral, yeah. right? And to what degree do we understand that the depth of the problem is a heart of stone that needs yeah. to be broken by God replaced. and, and yeah. replaced with a heart of flesh? I think that he's trying to have his eat his cake and have it too. Oh, look at you saying look it the right me. way, just yeah, like yeah. the Unabomber. Exactly. So one thing I did like about this that you didn't play here, but he gives an analogy of, he said, think of it as this long winding road up to a house. And mm-hmm. once you go in the house, the house is salvation. And it has something over the door that says, 
We I remove don't... debris, he said. Yeah, like we're along the path mm-hmm. making it clear, uh, available so that people can walk there without getting in the way and that even Christians get in the way and this kind of thing. I did like that. Yeah. Um, because that's kind of what the Bible says to do, right? Yeah. You go and preach and then the, like, the rest is up to God. Yeah. I, I think, yes, I mean, I want to help someone like yeah. well, along the way. Like I want to do whatever I can to help someone. But I don't think that it's, you know, Paul says knowledge puffs up. And I think about that a fair amount because sometimes I think that, you know, well, let me let me just say two things quickly. I, 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 my wife and I were talking about this last night because of James White's coming to town, and I was kind of explaining like the whole Molinist question, and he, he's a presuppositionist. I'm sure she was thrilled by the She was so excited. She was so excited um, <laughs> because she was like, "Wait, why is it important that you we're having this debate again?" You know. Um, but, um, but I said I remember distinctly when I sort of stopped following William Lane Craig's ministry. Mm-hmm. I remember the exact moment I was doing yard work. I was listening to him debate. Uh, that uh, that uh, astronomer, or I can't remember his name, not Lawrence Krauss, but um, the other guy who has a model of Planck time or something. Oh, and, um, yes, I know it. I would and know I his name if I... Anyway, it was an extremely... Sean Carroll. Ad- Sean Carroll, thank you. Yeah. It was an extremely advanced debate. The science and math was amazing. But I'm sitting here going, no mention essentially of God. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like assumed kind of somewhere in the background that there might be a creator and we can work our way eventually down to like moral arguments and resurrection and stuff like that. But none of that mentioned at all. Um, it was totally meeting Sean Carroll on his ground and, uh, you know, arguments about like physics, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, eh. I just I just found that to be, un, un you know, not fulfilling spiritually. Um, and then another another story, there was a guy I knew, long story short, he said he met with a guy for like years over like breakfast once a week, and they talked about all the arguments and all the arguments and all the arguments. And they got to the end, and my apologist friend, he was like, look, dude, I don't have anything else to say. Like mm-hmm. every book I've ever read on the subject, like I just gave you, you know. Yeah. And the guy was like, well, let's just start over. Oh. Yeah. And so I I, I heard that at, at a meeting, and I thought, this is not the path I want to go down. No. Okay. I don't want to go down the path of like, entertaining unbelievers yeah okay like i don't want them to be like hey i think your i think your religion is interesting and back to that babylon b thing mm-hmm. like like elon musk is sitting there going yeah jesus seems like a nice guy and he turns water into wine and yeah. you know uh he um you know he's he's Did all about thousand oh, yeah, yeah yeah you know he's like it's, it seems really interesting i like the teachings of i like the ethics of christ yeah. you know turn the other cheek and i'm like I'm, he's like feeding you feeding yeah, yeah. you like you know like opportunities here yeah like close the deal, mm-hmm. you know, or at least start to kind of push the antithesis a little bit, right? Or like, just ask the question, like, yeah, you, you you keep joking that you don't know why Christians do this. Do you actually want to know? Because I'd love to tell you. Yeah, yeah. And then if he's like, no, actually, I just think it's ridiculous. Okay, well, we'll move on. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I um, so I I thought that this talk was maybe uh, a a good way to sort of introduce some of the concepts and kind of different approaches to apologetics. Um, why I think ultimately people choose the methodology that they do. And I think he had some pretty big holes. And I think maybe the biggest is is what happens right at the beginning and right at the end, right? Where he says, well, sin's not that big a deal. But then at the end, he's like, well, conversion's the work of the Spirit. Yeah. B- it, because it's impossible for the, you know, for the, for one for the sin sinner to, to do. Another sin. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, I don't know. Hopefully it was helpful. Any final well, thoughts or and I think it's partly why Theology on Air, we're going to have apologists come on and talk. And so far we've had more evidential apologists than mm-hmm. 
precepts. But um, we also are trying to at least once a month just dive into the Bible. Yeah. Like, what does the Bible say? And I think there's some just really important stuff to learn, not just about like the things that happened, but the way that people over centuries and centuries have responded to God almost always, only exceptions are when God actually makes them do the right thing in rebellion. Mm. Like the whole Bible kind of speaks to this idea that we are all like just super rebellious, super lost if it were not for the Holy Spirit coming and rescuing us, throwing us a lifeline. So yeah. So keep listening is what I'm saying. Yeah. Keep listening. Well, thanks for listening today. MDPC.org is where Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church is. FL Houston is where First Lutheran is. HoustonTOT.com is where Houston Theology on Tap is. Come out February 7th, and then another shameless plug for February 11th for James White's Debate on Molinism. If you're a total theology nerd and you find that stuff interesting, am I forgetting anything? Nope. Other than our Other than our tagline? Go for it. Which I, which I have to read in case I forget. Question freely. Think deeply and disagree, disagree as, as needed. needed.